0: In this episode, I speak with founder and CEO of Mark Public Relations, Casey Kitchen. Key points addressed were Casey's personal and professional story in dance and entertainment industries prior to launching her successful PR firm. We also discussed some of the unique strategies Casey employs in her work with her clients at Mark PR and how important it is for her to balance both the integrity of their craft with the longevity of their career and brand. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Casey Kitchen. Hi, my name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female identified, and non binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciakathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening, now let's start the conversation. And Welcome back. I am your host, Patricia, and today I am so excited to be sitting down with Casey Kitchen. Casey is the founder and CEO of Mark Public Relations. You can find out more about her, all of her services and her company and everything we talk about today on her website, www.markpublicrelations.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-E-P-U-B-L-I-C-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S.com. Welcome, Casey. Hi, thank you so much. Absolutely, I'm excited to climb through everything that you're doing. We we're talking off the air and I, um, I look forward to unpacking your story. For those of you that might be new to this podcast, um, this will follow, I will give you a quick roadmap of today's inquiry and the trajectory in which we'll follow so that you know what is coming and what we will explore. We'll first look at unpacking Casey's academic, professional, and personal history as it relates to her chronicle and professional chronicle that we will look at now. Then we will look at straight at unpacking Mark Public Relations, the services. We'll look at first the logistics behind that company. For all of you founders out there, the logistics of who when, where, why, how, funding, all of those things. And then we'll turn to looking at the ethos, and the philosophy behind um, the the PR firm and its endeavors, um, some of the niche society it forms, maybe some of the areas that it specializes in. We'll then look at unpacking goals that Casey may have for herself and her business um, separately or together over the next one to three years. This is a conversation that's changed a great deal in regards to the recent COVID-19 pandemic. People have shifted a lot of their horizons. Um, And then we'll wrap everything up with advice that Casey may have for those of you who are looking to get involved, um, perhaps uh, learn more about her services or um, emulate some of her career success. As promised, before we get talking to Casey and peppering her with questions, a quick bio. Um, Born in Miami and raised in Atlanta, Kitchen got her start in entertainment as a dancer and actress, which she pursued professionally. Her love of performing carried her uh, to further study her craft at East Carolina Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, and then onward to London's Royal Academy of Dramatic Art before settling in New York City in 2005. She was one of 12 individuals to sign with MSA, a leading dance agency uh, that had just opened in its New York City branch. Um, In 2009, she relocated to Los Angeles to further uh, pursue her opportunities in film and television. However, a year later, decided to change paths. As one who has always uh, had a fascination with the science behind human behavior, Kitchen, uh, with the referral of a retired FBI agent, came very close to a career with the Bureau as a communications liaison for the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Needless to say, her calling to the world of entertainment couldn't be ignored. Um, making her once again return to where it all began for her, however, this time in public relations. Prior to founding Mark, um, Kitchen served as a senior account executive and Advantage PR, Icon PR, East to West Collective, I'll have her unpack all of that for us, and Pinnacle Public Relations, spearheading campaigns for a myriad of talent across the realms of film and television. Through forward thinking and the utilization of creative narratives, Kitchen has achieved great success for her clients in the acquisitions of press, spanning print and digital publications, radio and broadcast interviews, and furthering that success into the space of branding. She aspires to go beyond traditional PR by implementing an artistic strategy that is uniquely centered to each individual client with the ultimate goal of furthering their craft as artists while also maintaining longevity and relevancy in their careers, traits that are most vital in today's vastly changing industry. Kitchen additionally spearheads publicity for the uh, Cameron Boyce Foundation and sits upon its board of directors. She is based in Los Angeles, California. So Casey, I can't wait to unpack kind of everything that your company is doing and all of its uh, niche properties. But before we get to that, I'm hoping you can help me develop even more of like a platform beyond the bio I just read as to your academic and professional history and how that path kind of led you to launching uh, Mark Public Relations.
1: Yeah, um, well, I, I used to be a, a dancer and an actor. I started out, as a dancer when I was, gosh, I was probably four or five years old. Um, and that was, that was my entire life. It was everything I knew and uh, throughout school, I mean, it was, it was pretty rigorous training. And it, at, at the time I wanted to be a dancer. That was my life. That was everything that I knew. And um, uh, I didn't even wanna go to college. I just wanted to dance. And it was really important to my parents, especially my dad. Uh, for me to get an education, and and so he, he made me try to look at schools that had some some good dance programs, and I ended up getting a partial scholarship to East Carolina University, and it was in Greenville, North Carolina. My mom also happened to go there as well, so I was kind of like nudged in that direction. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I, I did. I, I went to school for three years, and then I I left um, because in all truth, I didn't really feel like. I was creatively fulfilled. I just wanted to, I really just wanted to perform and I wanted to be on stage. And, uh, so I I went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and did a mini master there over in London and then moved to New York city and, uh, auditioned for a a dance agency called MSA, McDonald, Selznick and associates who was based in Los Angeles and they had just opened their New York branch and they had this like cattle call of, I think maybe two thousand people showed up and it was so intimidating because you have all these people that are just like doing everything they can to to have some sort of representation. And I was literally almost about to walk away from dance at the time because I it's it's hard. Any cre in dance, acting, all of it, trying to pursue it professionally, you put your blood, sweat and tears into it and it, it, it consumed so much of my life and I loved it. But at the same time, you, you have a point where you're like, is this worth it? Am I am I going to actually have a career? And so uh, I, I went on a whim and then I, I was signed. And so then I I pursued that for um, probably about four or five years and then and then shifted into acting and then moved to LA and and then about a year after being in LA, it was kind of the same thing. I felt it was a strange feeling because I felt like it was hard to walk away from it. I was doing well and I was working, but it was inconsistent. And I was looking at what my friends in Atlanta, where I grew up, what they were doing, they were all getting married and having kids and buying houses. And I felt like, you know, here's me kind of living this starving artist life where like, you know, when you work, the money's good, but then you don't know when the next job is coming in. So I felt like I needed, um, I needed something that was a little bit more secure. So that's when I decided to kind of go within and, and do some soul searching. And it led me to going back to school. I actually went back to East Carolina University through their distance education program, which is an interesting thing nowadays because this was back in mm. 2009, I believe I went back um, because all, all of my credits were there. So it just made the most sense. I looked at USC. I looked at all these you know other schools, but given that I was trying to work and I was an adult and, um, and and I needed to kind of balance that, I ended up going back online and I uh, got a degree and it was basically sociology, it was a Bachelor of Science and communications uh, with concentrations in public relations and interpersonal organization. And, and I tell you what, I, I have just, with everything going on right now with, with kids that are having, or young adults having to go to college virtually, I feel you because I did that the second time around and it's tough you it takes a lot of discipline
0: yeah absolutely it changed and it changes the dynamic with the knowledge obtained as well yeah I had the opportunity to uh actually teach an online course at a university of Utah um in art oh wow and the dynamic um I think it's changed a great deal that was about six years ago and um it's it's opened up a lot you know um Ted or sorry ed tech as it's called education technology these kinds of online platforms and things like that have opened up a lot but um the way that the knowledge is conveyed and the way that it's consumed is very very different online and i think that people didn't really surmise that i think people just thought we obtained things all the time through you know the internet it's got to be the same but it's really not and the dynamicism there's opportunity had and also wasted you know on the, i think on both platforms it's an interesting way to go. I think you're right. Um, I'm curious, after looking over your bio and and reading it aloud, what was the impetus of change when you finally switched over from um, this kind of performative, you know, and you're returning back to get your degree and things like that? Was there a, a key marker in your life when you thought, I do really well at PR, I think I'd enjoy that and kind of switched over from the performative arts because there's ways of staying within it even if you matricula- matriculate out of the performative aspect, right, you can always stay as an agent or I mean, there's ways yeah. to stay in the industry.
1: Yeah, um, at the time, there was a lot of chaos in my life. I had uh, moved across the country. It's it's a big transition to move from New York to LA when you've lived in a, a city like that for, and and we all we had a joke in new york with my friends where we'd say the city either accepts you or it rejects you and anybody that lives in new york totally understands what i mean by this but it accepted me and if you can make it there past a year um you just you're you're kind of in the flow of it and so moving to la with and i don't want to say it was a slower lifestyle but it was just different there was the the juxtaposition of kind of Doing something different even the dance auditions and everything that I was doing was just so different from the Broadway route Which was you know, the more theatrical stuff that I was theater route that I was going um, Or that I was pursuing and I was dating someone Who was not a good? It, it was kind of like one of those moments. Where you're like you look back and you're like What was I thinking? Um, but in hindsight, there's there. I do believe that there's a reason for everything. And actually, this this individual who was a very bad choice um, was a catalyst in a way that to where I was like, I have got to get my life together. I've got. I, I moved in with this guy after only dating him for uh, probably three or four months, which is not smart. And he had moved. He was a guy in finance. He had moved across the country with me and kind of made it a stipulation that. Um, we had to live together, and he was like, "I'll help you. Like, you know, just audition. You don't have to work. I'll help you." And I, I ate it up, you know, and and um, and and quickly realized, no, I this is not working. I need to get out of this. It's not healthy. Um, and and so that was really that was a moment where I was like, "What am I, what am I doing with my life? Is this?" Yeah. do I really love it enough to to live like this and that was the frustrating part and then even as a dancer looking ahead at what kind of a career I would have I had a I'm a dog lover so I, I had a golden retriever at the time that was like the closest thing I had to a child I his name was Cody and he was like everything for me and he I, I got him when I was in college and he lived in New York and he moved across the country with me and so um in LA as far as work it was like you have to tour with an artist and so you're like living out of a suitcase and you're gone forever or you're doing music videos and that's really like more hip hop and they had everyone had like this really unique look and they were a little edgier looking whereas in New York you're a little bit more polished and mm-hmm. you know you have to look a different way so it was just so it was just different everything was different and and that was and i had this internal feeling where i knew I knew I was supposed to do something different, but I, I didn't know what, but what I, what I knew is that I wanted to help people. So I started thinking, you know, what can I do? What can I do to give back to humanity? What can I do to feel like I'm making a, a significant difference as a human in this world? And I had met this man in New York who was a, he was a retired FBI agent and we would, we would jokingly, because I would cocktail waitress on the side while I was, you know, going to auditions, and we would profile people and we talk about um, the bureau and and his days as a as an agent, and he then became a, a writer and was consulting with a lot of um, shows on in Hollywood, which was really interesting. Um, but I guess I've always kind of had like an intuitive thing about me where I can read people pretty well. Um, I don't always listen to it. Hence the bad boyfriend choice. Yeah. <laughs> Been a couple of those, but, um, but I, I thought, you know, maybe I can, maybe this is the, maybe I met this guy for a reason and I'm supposed to be in the bureau. And so fast forward to like dealing with a recruiter and literally going through the motions and realizing that cause I wanted to do communications and I wanted to work with people and I thought like I could be like, you know JJ from Criminal Minds, where she gets to kind of pick the cases and deal with the families, and um, you have to go to Quantico, and there's training, and there's 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 a whole the Hollywood version that I had told myself in my head was not the way that it works. No. So yeah, yeah so that that did not pan out, but um, but I did. I, I went back to school. A friend of mine, actually. Now that I now that I think of it, my dad has he's a builder in Atlanta, and it was right when the foreclosure crisis was happening. So, in the process of all of this, where I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, I remember I remember him in two thousand nine just being like, "What am I going?" He I mean he was really successful. He didn't have a huge huge business. He was on the smaller side, but he had built enough houses to where he's pretty respected, pretty well known, but people weren't buying new homes anymore. And so I helped him with some rebranding and I said, you have to think about where people are at and anticipate people's needs and figure out how you can cater to that. We built a website for him. I helped him with some marketing materials and that's when a friend of mine said, you know, you should consider PR cause you kind of have a knack for it. So that's when I decided to go back to school. Um, and And pursue uh, communications and PR and all of that. So it kind of just
0: fell into place. So let's get into that. Um, your PR kind of the account executive at advantage. How long did all of that last? And when did you know that you were kind of destined to go out and design your own um, firm? That's funny. Well, so, I started out at, at Pinnacle.
1: So basically after I had graduated and I had decided to leave, um, I, I decided to leave the, the entertainment world as a performer. Um, I, I, I got a late start. So typically when you start out and I bypassed being an assistant. So I was a junior publicist and I was working closely with mm-hmm. the founder there. It was a really small company, but uh, I, I, I had a knack for it and I could think on my feet and I learned really quickly and I picked up quickly, but. Um, it it didn't work out there. And I ended up, I wanted to go to a bigger agency. So I then went to east to west Collective and worked there for a little bit. And then the COO there split off and started her own company. So I just kind of followed her. It was a business thing. She gave me a nice offer. Um, But there was always kind of something in me that felt like I always kind of had my own not that i don't work well with others i i get along with everybody but i always i was able to sign my own clients i always Mm -hmm. you know kind of i was i was doing my own thing where i i I had a really strong work ethic and even if i had an assistant i i I never really fully relied on somebody else to do anything i was so hands-on with everybody and i felt intuitively and instinctively that at some point i would really want to have my own company and i had friends for years that would say like why don't you just have your own company but you have, you do have the naysayers. You have people in your ear kind of going, well, you're not there yet, or you're not this person yet, or you don't have this, or you don't, you have people telling you everything you don't have. And so I finally stopped listening to that and listened to what I needed to listen to, which was that inner voice. And, um, and I branched off and started Mark and, and we're, I mean I'm I'm so grateful we're doing really well and and given that it's a pandemic I literally like I'm I I'm, I thank God like every single day <laughs> for for giving me the opportunity to be able to do this and to um to have the clients that I have. So it's it's been a wild ride so far.
0: Absolutely staying gratuitous always good. a good thing. Um, and I've spoken to a lot of people, particularly women and women identified non binary individuals who have founded a company within the past five years. they are doing quite well through the pandemic. And I think it's because everyone's staying very lithe. Um, I think there's definitely a connection between those um, populations and how they came about their businesses, which it sounds like, you know, you had to do as well from the beginning of just kind of putting aside people who are saying you couldn't for one reason or another. Um, It kind of builds a a very steadfast and gritty business from the get-go. I wanna get into some of the logistics really quickly. So um, when was it founded? Did you have co-founders? Did you take any funding? And did it start with a a handful of clients or just one?
1: Um, It started with all of my clients. So basically over the years, I've uh, accumulated a a roster And in PR, especially in entertainment PR, you know, you you sign your own clients. The way that it's structured is that, you know, with some of the bigger agencies, I think they give you clients to work on, but I never worked for any agency that did that. So that was one of the things that led to me having my own business as well, because I was like, if I'm working so hard to bring in all these people for this company and I'm doing this on my own, I should be able to keep these clients just for my own. Uh, so that's basically that's basically what I did. But um, so I'm lucky in that I had a nice roster but I, I decided to do it uh, earlier earlier this year, um, and was kind of going through the motions of it, and then um, and then I just I just did it. The pandemic it, it was strange because I acquired my business license in I want to say March, um, just because I I just I, I just wasn't I wasn't happy where I was, but it's it's such a tough thing. Um, because they they took care of me. It's nothing that they did. It was just something internally that I needed to feel fulfilled doing and and that the only way to do that was to to have my own company. And like I was saying over the years, it was like kind of in my mind to do it, but I did it. And I just um, I just leapt. I, I planned on doing it out of my house for a while anyways, which kind of worked out because everyone had to end up working from home. Um, A girl that I used to work with at another agency had changed paths and um, had gone into production and was thinking that she wanted to come back into PR. So that was very serendipitous. She was already trained. She knew my clients. uh, She knew my style of working. So she signed on. Um, And then I have a friend who's a social media manager who you know, Lindsay Love. Mm -hmm. who spearheads the branding component so it was so strange it was almost like everything that i had envisioned in my mind was just kind of coming together and all of these excuses that i had made to not do it it it, it's really and i don't want to say that it's not difficult but you really just have to do it you just you you do the research you get the information and you figure out what you need to do to get running and to get going and you just do it Um, but i i got really lucky and i just did it so thankfully I just went from from my clients billing or being billed by this other agency to me billing them and and that was it I did it
0: completely on my own (laughs) so excellent yeah yeah like by your own tutelage as well I'm curious I want to tell you that my assumption is I'm a romantic and daughter of a poet and um, I uh, I see mark uh, public relations and knowing your history with the stage and dancing Mm
1: -hmm. I think
0: of being on your mark you know um but where did the name come from it's the french word for brand
1: um so it's and and i'm very i'm the way that i work is is we're all about branding and and i i I treat my clients like they're everyone's a fingerprint they're unique and everything we're doing is is building we're building um a brand for them so that they have longevity in their careers but it is funny how you do like you were saying with the, the the playing on of of words like staying on your mark or taking your mark or making your mark. So it all does, it definitely, it just felt right. And it was strange because I was trying to figure out what to call it. Um, I actually almost called it um, Micah, which is the middle name of uh, Cameron Boyce, the late Cameron Boyce, who I worked very closely with. And I now work with the Cameron Boyce Foundation. And um, he was kind of the, the way that i work is just it's its kind of hard to describe it's different from other publicists but he was kind of like we would jokingly tell each other that he was my my guinea pig because he wanted to do something different and get away from this like golden boy of disney so we were basically putting him through a rebranding and we wanted to use his voice and platform for change because he had such a philanthropic spirit and such a big heart and so i i knew that I wanted to do that with everybody else. And he was truly like he was he made such an impact on my life. So I thought, well, maybe I should call it Micah. Um, but then something didn't feel right about that either. Um, but I think that the M part of it just stuck. And randomly one day I happened to be looking down and it was like a pair of jeans that said Mar- like something like Lamarck or something like that, where it was like the brand. And I was like, Mark, that's that's gotta be what it's called. So
0: Love it. Yeah. It has a lot to do. And I like the spelling. It's not too hard off, but it's not the same beaten path that you see. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, I want to get into how you curate your process because, um, PR feels like such a vast, vast, you know, industry and it's been redefined and defined again with the advent of social media, obviously not just since the early aughts, but then again, because social media itself is redefining itself. Right. And the platforms utilization utilization, things are cross-referenced. Instagram started off as a photo site, then it within a matter of years became a place where everyone was finding their job. I mean, it was the crazy assimilation and reassignment of what every platform can do. It feels like that would have a, a conversation with you and your industry and what you're choosing to do with your clients. And then beyond that, it seems um, in, you know, in your bio, as I read, you, you, you have this impetus to this push to help people further their crafts as artists while maintaining longevity and relevancy in their careers. That's a very uh, bold, you know, and um, uh, difficult statement to make, you right. know, honoring someone's creative side while also looking at the sustainability of their career and things of that nature, right. very in-depth um, push. And it seems very individualized. And so I'm wondering, first of all, if you can kind of speak to whether or not your clients fall into a specific niche Mm-hmm. and uh, like, you know, Cameron, or if it's kind of across the board and also how you structure um, your, your campaign for each one that comes to you. Is it individualized? Do you and your team sit down? Is it all built on you and kind of your own artistic creativity and integrity? How does that all work?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much, um, that's pre- it's, it's catered to each individual client, but in terms of who I look for, what type of client I look for, um, it is like a camera and it's it's people that are, they're mostly actors and, and musicians. I also work with some brands and some um, experts and that's what we call lifestyle PR. So I do, I straddle both, but um, but with with anybody, I think that what really attracts me to them and really allows me to be able to do what I do best is to find people that have something else. It's that what else you, if you come to me, and you just you just want to sell a product and that's it or you just want to promote your movie or your tv show and that's it and there's nothing else then i basically say well i i don't think we're a, f- a fit but i have a ton of other publicists that i respect and adore that i think would you know potentially maybe be interested but for me it's it's i do have that um particular draw to the philanthropic component of everything. But I think that ultimately, if you're given a, a position where you have, uh, you have where people listen to what you're saying, it's not just about promoting your work and being a movie star or being a TV star anymore. There's, it's, it's jokingly like you were saying with social media, like people are crossing over into like being influencers now. And without even realizing it, If you have that big of a following, what you post and what you say, people pay attention to. So you do have the ability to influence people in whatever area you're in. And so casting directors actually look at that now, and it's important for actors to, you know, a lot of people, they need to be on social media. They rely on social media so heavily for marketing. If you look at like Jennifer Aniston and all these huge actors that are just now getting on Instagram, not because I think they like just can't wait to get on social media. They're kind of like pushed into it because that's if they want to market their stuff, that's the way to do it. Um, but yeah, but I, I cater everything to each person. I really get to know who they are. Um, and it's funny because we'll sit down and we'll do the whole like, okay, what's your project? What do you, you know, where do you come from? And they'll kind of skim the surface and then I'll go, okay, give me something else is there anything philanthropic do you have a cause do you have something to say did something happen to you in the past that you feel like you're in a position where you'd want to you'd want to help other people and then you kind of see a light go off where they're like well yeah actually actually i i do have something to say but i don't know if anybody would listen and then i go okay that's where i come in so essentially it's it's about amplifying their voice and, and really kind of helping them. And that's what I did with Cameron. And, and that's why I think it's, it's so crazy how things just happen. I think everything happens for a reason. But that kid, call him a kid, he's a, he was a young man, but he was um, so incredible and just kind and, and literally the entire time we worked together had, had no project to work. He, he wanted to get in the door to do edgier things but casting directors kept saying like they kept seeing him as this disney kid or this they kept trying to tell him who he was and so it was our job to restructure that narrative and to paint a different picture and to you know while we were doing that like doing all these cool edgy you know fashion features that kind of portrayed him in a different light but like using his voice to say what he wanted to say to talk about like what it means, like as a human, why are we here? You know, what does it mean? What does it mean to be, you know, to be given this, this type of um, fame and success at such a young age with, with the opportunity to give back and help people. And so like, what, what are you, how are you going about that and what are you doing And, and what do you feel drawn to? And he was so incredible because there's so many kids. And I think now, it's, it's changing so much is changing because of the pandemic and black lives matter. And people are starting to just pay attention and listen to each other. But if you don't use your voice and if you don't say something, nothing changes. And so you can literally sit there and say, I don't know if anyone would listen and you can let people tell you who you are and what you stand for. And those are the people that, uh, Rachel Hunter said it best. And I don't know if you follow this. There's a this documentary coming out called Chasing the Present. But she's she's someone that I, you know, she's a supermodel, but she she there's this clip of it where she talks about being authentic and she was so scared when the media found out that she was in India doing all this, you know, like kriyas and meditations and things that, you know, what are people gonna think about me? And there just comes a point where you just have to say, and I'm gonna drop the F bomb. Okay. <laughs> you know, who cares? And you have to be you. And Anna Wintour has a great quote as well where she says, you can look at look to the left and look to the right, but if you're always looking around, you don't you lose clarity of thought. You know, listen to the information, listen to the people around you. But at the end of the day, the decision has to come from you. It has to come from who you are. And um that's what i try to pull out of my clients and i think it's funny because going back into this like as a dancer and as someone who dabbled in choreography and as an actor you've got a director that's constantly like pushing you and pushing you and pushing you like trying to pull it out of you and then you get it and you're like yes that's the shot and so that for me i think it's it's interesting how they kind of cross over because that's what i do as a publicist i'm looking for that like and it's not it can't be fake it it has to be genuine and real and and that's where that's where they really start to take off because then you know by default when you can relate to people in a genuine way even if they're not into your show they're they're probably going to watch it just because they like you so you're you're promoting your project or your brand or whatever it is you're endorsing anyways but it's—I really think that that's the way of PR these days, and it's a little—it's—it's it's a lot harder than the traditional route. But that's where we're headed, and that's where we're going, and that's kind of how I've always worked.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's different tools too, and it's funny you mentioned Anna Wintour and and the documentary based on her life that came out probably a decade ago now. One of the key points that I loved about it, um, which uh, I think she as a, as an individual is is remarkably interesting just as a case study. But they asked her, you know, what her weakness was, if she could cite one. And she said her children. And they said, what's your strength? And she looked straight at the camera and said, decisiveness. And I was like, (laughs) it really does speak to who she is, you know, really having to clarify every issue of Vogue and things like that. It reaches this realm of being decisive, you know, Mm -hmm. amongst a sea, as you mentioned, of so many questions and not looking either way, but really Considering everything and then going with one or the other, um, Rachel Hunter, another person that you mentioned, coming up in the '90s as a supermodel would have been no easy feat. You know, in the Sports Illustrated realm, it's it's it speaks of um, a, a difficulty of just existence that I imagine that would be best served in going back into places like ashrams in India and really self finding oneself. This is the area though with you that I kind of am am curious about how you zone in because there are things like um, attached to PR now that it feels like you're required to use with like Google ads and Facebook ads and all of these different things, you know, and then made metadata that you can collect as to what needle is pushing, what, where, has it become more algorithmic? Is it formulaic or is there still freedom and creativity in how you come about campaigns? You know, when people are looking for this popularity boost, it's measurable by all of these different stats, right? Mm-hmm. Do you continually look at those? Um,
1: it it helps. I mean that that kind of falls more into the the marketing realm. Um, but with with my agency, we have Lindsay who does the the social media component of everything. And she's not um, she doesn't post for people. She's more of a manager, social media manager. And she works with algorithms. And she can look at the st- and she can basically help identify like who your audience is and who your you know who you're relating to and i know it sounds crazy but for me i've just I, I call it intuitive i just kind of for some reason with people i can i can kind of f- like feel them out and then i have you know i figure out like where they want to go and then i kind of see who's responding to them and then if they want to break into a different demo or a different area that's where the strategy comes in and then you have to go okay well how about doing like for example an instagram live with this person or Let's team up with this person. And so it's kind of like you do have to get strategic and, and in a sense where you're you're looking at, at, at who's um, even editorially editorially who's interested. But the social media does help and it really does like having those analytics and being able to see like mm-hmm. what age group follows you, men, women, um, you know, uh, Especially on in social media as well, who follows you back? Do these outlets that we're trying to get you into or get you featured, do they follow you? Are they actually paying attention to you? I've had a couple that'll say like, she's not a fit for this, but we'll keep an eye on her. And they literally are keeping an eye on her and they start following you. So that's always a good sign. But I also say as well, um, the numbers aren't always everything. It, it helps, but the numbers aren't always everything because sometimes they're wrong. And I think some people, sometimes it's just a matter of getting a different message out there and then you'll see the numbers change Um, because I've, I've pitched things before where people have passed and then another outlet will pick it up and it goes viral and it's huge. And then the people that did pass on something like suddenly start posting to their social media. And it's like, it's the same client, it's the same topic, but now you're suddenly interested because someone else basically said it was good. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, and I want to believe that there's still, and I, I do believe, it's not that I want to, I think it's not spoken enough about with all of the algorithms and social media and the the needle being pushed and people claiming that they can get you, and you know, a million followers and half the followers being fake and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I still believe that the most powerful thing that moves, you know, humans is humans. And yeah these machines and platforms and things like that it's still the human dialogue it's the human story it's the human campaign Mm -hmm. and i don't think that that can be generated out of you know this algorithmic format about where we're going to post and what we're going to post on like i still believe that there's especially an attachment to brand a human element that needs to be designed by a human you know PR management. And so I like the idea that you're still kind of fleshing that out per client. And um, I think it needs to be posted more. I don't think that everything can be boiled down. Even if you have success stories speaking to that, I don't think that that's the future of it personally, but that doesn't matter because we're going to move on to goals that you have personally and professionally with, um, the company. I'm wondering, um, you've been fortunate enough, you know, not to have COVID, um, of take out mark mark publications and um, public relations. Sorry, and um, I'm wondering if you have looked at the next one to three years. Yeah, changed or if it's if your format because it hasn't shifted so much with the pandemic, if it stayed the same. Do you look at your next one to three years like that, or do you kind of take it day to day as a business founder? How does all of that work out for you? It's a little bit of both.
1: Um, right now, it's it's um, it is day to day. I do have um, advisors, I have a business manager, and I have people, it's, it's, you know, I listen to the information. Um, but I think, I more than anything, I mean, I, I'm hopeful, we're doing really well, um, especially given the circumstances, but I'm hopeful that I can grow my company. I'd like to keep it on the smaller side, because what I do is so hands-on, and it is, that's what makes us unique. Um, I've always thought, you know, Everybody, not everybody, but I want to work as small and as as efficiently as possible. Um, so I I want to be able to uh to to get the work done and to make everybody feel like their phone calls will be answered and they you know they get they get me if I'm their rep then I'm there with them on site I'm not sending like five million assistants so they're like who who's coming to cover me for this event so. Um, yeah, keep it small, but I, I would. It would be nice to have an office at some at some point. You know, I was thinking like, yeah, I could get used to this working from home thing, and then after like what, five months of this, you're like, well, maybe an office would be great. So I, I do think that um, having an office would be great. And, and uh, my junior publicist that I work very closely with, that works on my accounts, is uh, she's got some really great ideas. Her name's Jennifer Lee, and I'm so lucky to have her. And and we have some some ideas that we've put together for what we think would be interesting for an office. And I and I have I would love to expand to um, Europe too. There's a lot of great talent overseas, and I'd love to have a counterpart there. Um, so I I think I think, but still working small, keeping it small, and maintaining control over it. Um, and I'm, and it's hard for me to relinquish control and to trust people to, to do things. But, but I do hope that it, that it grows to be bigger than what it is, but not too big.
0: Yeah. That's the dream, right? Yeah. The sweet spot. It's where you don't get sank too. I was yeah. I to found the other day that said, you know, she, all of her friends with the potential to grow did. And those were the ones that were wiped out first with the pandemic because you just, yeah. can't, uh, it's, it's key to keeping it um, tight and um, small. neat. Yeah. And it's
1: interesting because it was the same thing with my dad going back to that story as a builder. He was one of the few that didn't have to file for bankruptcy because it was like he. a lot of these guys that had these huge construction businesses had all these homes that they were stuck with that they call spec homes. And so it, it, he. I think he he's built um, a really successful career out of working as small and as efficiently as possible. And I think maybe subconsciously I've taken that in. Um, but it's, we're, we're doing okay. So knock on (laughs) Absolutely, (laughs) Yeah.
0: But we're, um, we're climbing towards the end of the podcast and we're going to end with um, my favorite question. Everyone who listens to the series knows. Um, I'm curious if you were walking tomorrow in beautiful Los Angeles and you were at a safe social distance in some lovely park or garden and a woman or woman identified or non-binary individual ran up to you and said, Casey, I'm so glad I found you. We have a mutual friend in common. They've asked me to come and find you. I've spent the first part of my professional life in the performative arts. I jumped around from city to city, spent a lot of time in New York. Um, I've come out here, I've decided to pivot and uh, move into public relations and I'm just getting ready to start my own firm. I've worked for a couple briefly. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now?
1: Do your research, trust your instincts and have confidence in what you bring to the table
0: (laughs) i love that those are fast neat and easy and gravestone comments research (laughs) dinks confidence perfect advice for every everything in life from eating breakfast to um auditioning i think (laughs) yeah I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, Casey. I know you're busy um, as successful and people are, uh, you know, they're at once kind of at home and available, but also busy. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to give us your story and all of your information.
1: Thank you so much. This was fun. I hope it helps people.
0: (laughs) It will, always. Our stories do, I'm convinced, Um, obviously, given this podcast. For everyone listening, we've been speaking with Casey Kitchen. She's the founder and CEO of Mark Public Relations. You can find out more about her company and all of her services on her website, www.markpublicrelations.com. And thank you for giving us your time today. Until we speak again next time, remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself. Sláinte.